Welcome to Peers Across the Pond. I'm Ann Casper in the United States and... And I'm Karen Machin in England in the UK. And we're going to have chats on mental wellness and thriving. We're going to start off by introducing ourselves. Karen, could you start please? Okay, a little bit about me. Um, I've been involved around um, mental health from a lived experience perspective for quite a few years now. Um, my particular interests are around peer support um, and I'm also involved in a lot of lived experience research. So I'm one of the directors of the Survivor Research um, CIC, Community Interest Company, over here in the UK. Um, what else do you want to know? Is that enough, Anne? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it depends what the audience wants to know. <laughs> they may ask us questions later. And I'm Ann Casper here in the United States, and I helped make the peer support a job. It wasn't a job before, a paid job in the United States up until about 15, 20 years ago. It's a, it's a new type of job. I helped define that and put that into administrative roles, which can be paid by our insurance here called Medicaid. I also teach Japanese to preschoolers for fun, and I, I have a varied career. It didn't start off in mental health. It started off in refugee resettlement, teaching as English as second language, and then teaching foreign languages to children. So, Karen, how did we come up with this podcast? <laughs> I have no idea. Where did we meet? Because we we met, didn't we? And then we started having conversations and we thought, actually, this is really, really interesting that we are sharing that information across the pond, as you keep saying, um, that we're learning from each other, particularly around peer support, because we've both got that shared interest. We both have a shared interest in research, um, obviously with around those um, lived experience and mental health. But where did we first meet? How did we first decide to have a Zoom call? We met on a research listserv of international peer researchers, the so people who have lived experience in mental health systems, who do academic research. And we were talking about competencies for the peer support job. And then we started just having weekly chats and decided that in explaining, you were explaining to me what's going on in England, how things work there, and explaining the United States. We found the comparison and contrast really fascinating. And so maybe today we could start off with the peer support certification, how it's different in the different countries. And Karen, can you start off with the UK? So over here, particularly in England, um, so obviously the UK is made up of several um, devolved nations, um, devolved countries. Um, in England, specifically um, around the NHS, um, the interest in peer support has grown since about uh, 13, 14, 15 years ago. Um, probably about the same time period as yourself. Sorry? About acronyms, NHS, because we don't know what NHS is. I'm sorry, I forget. I, and please do tell me if I speak in acronyms. Um, the NHS is the National Health Service, so that is the point at which most people will access healthcare. Um, it's provided to everyone and it's free at the point of access. So our mental health services are um, part of that, um, including services um, at different levels. So that might be around 
um, someone's choice to enter those services to get some support around depression or anxiety, it might, but it might be also that someone is forced into those services um, against their will and detained there under the, the legal system, our Mental Health Act. So there's a range of mental health services within the NHS, the National Health Service. Um, there's also peer support services outside of that in what we would call the third sector or the voluntary sector. Um, which is where peer support kind of has its roots, um, you know, people getting together with a shared experience, supporting each other through stuff, um, and that's kind of how I came into peer support really, through those experiences of other people supporting me and being able to provide that support in return. Um, so peer support has got a long history in the voluntary sector over here, just as much as it has where yourselves are, um, but the NHS, the statutory sector, um, had this started getting really interested in this and that has grown over the last 15 years um, so much so that oh, about two or three years ago um, a set of competency a competency framework was set up um, and the training is delivered in accordance with that and I'm um, part of an organization that delivers some training across England. Is there a national training? That's probably as near as it gets. So there are four different organisations who deliver that training and that's to a competency framework and it's funded by Health Education England, which is part of the NHS. Um, so a lot of people are able to access that funding. A lot of, a lot of NHS organisations can access that funding. Um, so that's probably as much as near as it gets to being a national certification, really. Are there any tests that you have to take? Um, currently, no, not really. It's more about attending the training and showing that you're um, capable, you're competent and people having that confidence in you to be able to do the role. Um, and that, that is for people within the organisation to do, within um, the employing organisation to do um, as much as anybody else. So at the moment it's not, it hasn't got a certificate, a certificate in that sense of being accredited. I know that a, a lot of the training providers are working towards that. Um, because we think that's important. Um, where we were previously, our training was accredited um, with the Open University, so we had a, um, a certificate that was credits towards um, the first part of the degree, which was really useful, really lovely to be able to see people achieve things that they didn't think that they would be able to achieve. So people who hadn't got that confidence, who hadn't been to, through the usual school and education system, having that confidence to write a three and a half thousand word essay um, and pass a test. Um, it, was a, it was a real success. It was a real celebration. So I do miss that. And I think, I think that's what we're working towards is to try and get some of that back into it, really. Because it's very different where you are, isn't it? There is that certification there are system. in 49 states, as I understand. Only North Dakota doesn't have a certification process no. yet. And um, we just found out that we're not going to have a national certification. I was just at a meeting in Maryland at the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. They will have national competencies, though, national things that we all work towards. But because we're very independent here, each state wants to do things its own way, which makes sense because we're all very localized. It's a big country and um, things in California are different than in Florida, than New York, than in Mississippi. So it makes sense that the peer support trainings would be localized. Actually, in my state, in Oregon, I believe we now have 17 different accredited trainings for peer support just in my state, in the small state here. 
And um, that's also interesting because the rural counties, the rural areas are different than the big city areas. So it also makes sense that peer support is different. The training would be different. And in our state, we do have a certification process. It means that you do have to pass some sort of test at the end of, we have two kinds of trainings. One is 40 hours for the peer support specialist, which can be in addictions and or mental health. And then we have another one called peer wellness specialist, which adds on a little bit more to if you want to work in the medical field, help people with diabetes, help people with different kinds of, of health issues along with the mental health. That's 80 hours. Um, and in our state, because a lot of the peer support jobs are paid through Medicaid, which is our um, low income insurance for people here in the United States, we have a process which we do background checks and to be able to do peer support and get paid through this national funding that we have to do background checks and application process and it's certified through the state of Oregon. So you can become a peer support specialist without being certified through the state of Oregon. You can work as a peer support specialist if it's grant funding, if it's funding from a foundation or any kind of company. But when it has to do with people getting paid through Medicaid, which actually provides an hourly, certain hourly rate for peer support, then you have to go through those processes. And um, in Oregon, in the addictions field, it was so interesting. So many people have been in the jail and prison system that they weren't passing their background tests. And so they had to have some negotiation with the state and making sure that they can write an explanation and the state will look at what kind of charges exactly those were. And a lot of people have gotten accepted into work. It just took some negotiation that way. So that's how ours worked. We had just had a national person say there was going to be a national certification. And again, the department itself of SAMHSA and at the national level, which is on the East Coast, which is a five hour flight from my hometown, so really far over there just said we're not going to. There was some kind of national certification, private national certification made through an organization through Florida. Many of the certifications in different states could apply to become part of that national certification, but I had just heard that's not going to continue either. That had a lot to do with um, making some money. It also had certification, but also making some money. It's so interesting. Oregon has had a certification. We've worked, those of us advocates, worked really hard to get that in many years ago. I was at the first uh, health workforce tables just dreaming up this job with another peer, 2004, 2005. Um, and the interesting thing is just last year, California obtained certifications at being able to do that. So every state is so different. Is it that regionalized in, in England as well? Not yet, because I don't think we're, it's, it's not as well accepted as it is over there. Um, yeah, like you say, you've got so many different ones, but everybody's trying to do it. Um, it's, it's not in the same position over here. I think we're behind you on that. Although we have got, a, there's a lot of that voluntary sector um, peer support, that informal stuff, um, including online stuff. So online peer support as well. So lots of people doing that informal peer support, but actually in terms of paid peer support roles, um, it's still at that stage of moving from um, 
I, I get a feeling of like pre-COVID and after COVID. I think COVID has really changed the way things feel. I don't know whether that's because it ties in with all this um, interest from the NHS and Health Education England, um, but I do feel that things have changed and, and COVID is that point in time, isn't it, that we all recognise internationally as being a specific point in time. I think we can all remember that one. Um, but it does feel that things have changed since then. Has it changed for yourselves over there in relation to COVID? Do you, do you feel a point in time where it changed? I feel it's always evolving. <laughs> and um, right. the interesting thing is too, is, is digital peer support. So now um, at least there is an organization on the East Coast providing digital peer support training. And I went through that and I thought it was very good because in-person peer support as digital, it is different. Um, it feels different. Um, uh, so let's go into what the peer support jobs could be. Every single job is different. And here in Oregon started off really in-person face-to-face, the basic thing is learning to really be with a person and listen without judgment. That's the mental health peer support style. So those jobs evolved sometimes doing what's more social work uh, jobs because the agencies didn't know what to do with the peers. They weren't used to having somebody just being with the peers and non-judgmentally being with them. I like to say for people who don't know what peer support is, my mentor really helped explain it well when I first went to training and he said he had a person he was assigned to as a peer support specialist in Salem, Oregon and that person was houseless or we say houseless in Oregon but some people say homeless in other places. He was thinking, oh, this I really would like this person to have a home, that's what we should be working on. But as mental health peer support specialists, that's not our job. Our job is not to have a goal or expectation for the other person, is to be with them. So he reined that in, in himself, listened to the person. The person really wanted to have a dog. So he, he did what peer supports do, helped uh, get the person the um, resources to find out how to get a dog, um, help him get the steps to do it, and walked through with him as, as that person himself got the dog. And guess what? After that, that peer with his dog decided he wanted housing, went out, did it for himself, and found housing. So stop meeting people where they're at and us not holding expectations for anybody else. Um, how is it in England? Yeah, I think that's a great example that you've given there. Um, and I, th I think that's something that peer supporters themselves struggle with over here because having a job and being given a job or you know, succeeding in getting a job is a big step up for a lot of people. And then the next question is, well, what am I doing? What have I got to do? What is my job? What is it? And there's still a lot of uncertainty about that. Um, and I know that researchers talk about lack of role clarity and you know, but what do peer supporters do and what is it and let's try and pin it down and box it off and again similar I guess with the competency framework it's trying to work out exactly what it is that people do and how we can measure them um, but actually a lot of peer support is about just sitting with people isn't it it's just about you know we hear of peer supporters who say you know I just sat and watched television with someone you know is is that okay but actually that's what the person wants and if that's what the person wants and if that's what helps somebody um, and helps someone to, to recognize their own skills and to recognize um, just being able to take time out 
um, that's important and that's just as important as being able to fix or cure or do all those active things that people assume that they need to have to do to show that they're doing a job it's just that sitting with and being with is so important I think a lot of peer supporters talk about being that that bridge and some people talk about that being a bridge between people who use services and the other healthcare staff whereas the peer supporters are saying well it's that bridge for that person back to the world that they want you know it's that bridge to their life and then helping people to step along that bridge and move on in a way that they choose to do so it's a people talk about peer support as being a bridge and i'm still really uncertain about what this bridge looks like i don't know if they talk about that over where you are is that something that you've heard a lot of it, what we hear is about connecting to resources when we started off this peer support positions years ago it was really those of us who have used the resources so those of us who've been through the the public insurance those who have been through the hospital system those of us that direct lived experience in these systems could help the people navigate into what the systems they may be going into. Because the job has become so large recently and popularity, it's like, oh, it's a job I can do, it's a career. There are a lot of people who don't have that lived systems experiences becoming peer supporters and connecting people to resources which they cannot explain or they haven't lived through themselves. It's really fascinating to watch that. It's just a different type of peer support. Always being with is important, but I also think there's wisdom, true wisdom and beauty in knowing which agency to call. How long is it going to take to get services? Um, if you sign up for this type of program, what are the consequences? What are the good things and what are the bad things? And those who have been through those programs directly can say that. But peer support, again, is becoming so broad and large, that's a little bit different. And what's happened with a lot of agencies here is that um, they use peer support a lot for transportation. To become a peer supporter or peer support specialist, a lot of the job applications, a lot of job descriptions will say, do you have a driver's license? Do you have a car? Do you have insurance? And this is not what we intended when we started the peer support jobs here. How about wow, that is just, that feels so far away from my understanding of what peer support is. You know, it, for me, it's definitely about that shared lived experience of having used a service or having needed a service definitely about understanding that it's not just about knowing where the services are and navigating through them it's about having been through it yourself and understanding the implications of that that's a massive difference i know when i, I spoke to some people who'd used um secure care services um and as peer supporters they said you know you have to have used that service because otherwise you feel like a fraud. You know, if you've not used the service, you're a bit of a fraud telling somebody, um, you know, I've been there, got the t-shirt, I understand how you feel, I can empathize. No, you can't, unless you've been through that service and understand the implications of what that then means for the rest of your life, um, in terms of childcare or housing or getting a job, then how can you be a peer? So it really surprises me that um, people are not, haven't got that shared lived experience over there and it's moving away from that. And to be moving away to being, you know, the emphasis being on, have you, can you drive a car? And have you got, are you able to transport people around? It's just, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, 
I think when it was a smaller, not so popular job, it really was the heart of it. It's just shifted to something different. So, so when did it shift then? When when did that expansion happen? How how did you do that? And how can we guard against it from going in that same way? <laughs> I think it goes down. Well, I, I, every state is different, okay. and and then we have states which are much more. Um, stronger on competencies, on the peer peer principles. There are states that are more lax about that, just not as not as important to them. And it also depends on how they negotiated with their state entities themselves, right? So it's a, it's it's very complicated. I would say in Oregon, that started probably about five six years ago. And another thing that's fascinating is that we used to have a job called peer mentor. And the peer mentorship, peer mentor, was just strictly for addictions, basically for addictions with substance abuses. About, I'd say five, six, seven years ago in Oregon, the peer mentor people in charge of that noticed that um, the mental health peers had done a lot of political work and that we were getting funding and other things moving. So they changed the job, the job title from peer mentor to peer. So it's really confusing now. Are you working in addictions, or from addictions lens, uh, that kind of substance use, different kind of peer sport lens? Are you working from a mental health lens? Now some of the trainees have become combined. So it really is confusing because as I understand it, I've been through two addictions peer trainings, peer mentor trainings, and I understand it's just a different lens where people have an objective to help somebody come off a substance. There's new things about what's called harm reduction, where you are with people and what they want. Um, so it's, it's just fascinating where that's actually getting very confusing now. We even have an agency in Oregon that puts out job descriptions we will hire for an addictions peer or a mental health peer. And it makes me think, what kind of services can you offer? from a different lens. And if you're somebody in a mental health hospital, you have an addictions background and you don't have any mental health hospital experience, how is that working with a peer in that system? How beneficial is that? Just questions. There are people who cross over dual diagnosis. So sometimes I like to say, bring it down to um, an example. If France were the mental health peers and in Germany were the addiction peers. And then in the middle, we have Alsace-Lorraine, which we have called dual diagnosis, which you, in, in France and Germany, in that area, you actually do speak German and French. It, it crosses over. It's fascinating. Riding the train down in France, the Southern France, and, and parts of it, I'm like, am I in Germany? Because everything's written in German now. Um, so dual diagnosis being that you have mental health um, conditions to work with as well as an addiction um, and which came first is a chicken or egg question so there are some reflections what do you think Karen? absolutely agree with you and i think that's part of the challenge around mental health isn't it because it touches everybody it doesn't matter you know what else is happening for you in your life we've all got mental health in some way we all need to look after that um, and we all are likely to face challenges with it at some level at some point in our lives um, we're seeing a lot of interest across lots of different health conditions, strokes, HIV AIDS, you know, lots of people interested in peer support, um, young people um, thinking about that transition between school and 
getting a job, you know, they want peer support. So that, that phrase of peer support is used in so many different contexts. Um, that's thinking about what is it that's core to peer support uh, underneath all these little slight differences um, what is it that's core to it and you know that mutuality that reciprocity the sharing of the lived experience having been there got the t-shirt for me um, and it being a two-way relationship where we're both getting something out of this we're both learning from each other for me is key to it I know people argue as to whether that can still happen when someone's paid for it and the other person isn't, but um, I still think people get something out of it. <laughs> yes, and, and even have being peer supporters in hospitals where you come in, and I did this for three years, you come in and you've got the keys literally so you can walk out of the hospital and the people you're mutually supporting cannot. I know as someone who stayed in hospitals, it really does help to have somebody else there who's not part of the staff writing notes about me from a judgmental point of view of where I fit in with some kind of diagnosis or some, you know, what's, what people are looking at for me. One thing I want to bring up too about working as a peer in a hospital system, we had to take notes. That's part of it so we could get paid. What I learned about taking notes is being as general as possible. and trying not to use so many medical terms. If I had to use medical terms, I did. Sometimes you do in those notes. Oh, one thing too about being a peer supporter in Medicaid also, a lot of times that does take writing notes about people. There's a program called Open Notes here. It's actually a computer program where the doctor or peer supporter can write the notes together with that person with the notes being written about. And I would do that in the hospital as well. I would uh, take my notes show the person this is the notes i've taken from our discussion today what do you think do you want anything changed does this work because i think every note should be something that would be acceptable to that person yeah we don't have open notes over here but i think i think peer supporters would agree that um and, and i think i've heard from other healthcare workers that they think that the notes that are written by peer supporters are so much more human so much more strength focused recovery focused you know that they, they really understand the person um because peer supporters have have been there and read their own notes and there's yeah, there can be some big inaccuracies in those notes can't there um, <laughs> and they can be written in such a way that is 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 well is they can be dreadful to read um so having read your own notes i think peer supporters have got a real commitment to making sure that the notes are okay we don't have an open note system over here, but you can um, ask to see your own notes. So it's a slightly different way of doing it. We've, we've been, we are able to see our notes if we if we choose to, but as I say, it can be um, it can be a difficult thing to read. Could you speak a little about two uh, phrases or words you you spoke about? What does it mean in peer support? Mutuality and strengths. <laughs> what does that mean for someone who doesn't know? Sorry, I think mutuality and reciprocity are those two core principles of peer support that I have, it took me about 10 years to be able to say reciprocity without sort of spitting my teeth out and <laughs> getting really confused with it. Um, mutuality is that shared experience, so someone having been through something similar, so whether that is use of a ward or whether it's experience of perinatal services for example or you know whatever it is something around that shared experience that we've both been there got the t-shirt um so that's the mutuality of it is the shared the shared aspect of it and the reciprocity is that it's a two-way thing it's about give and take so it's not just 
telling somebody what to do it's supporting somebody and thinking about that with them but also learning from them as well because we can all learn from each other and I think there's a temptation to think that if somebody's in crisis there's nothing you know it's all about giving to somebody but actually they can give back as well and by enabling somebody who's in a tough place to give something back it, it, it helps us all and it, and it recognizes the strengths that we've all got so we've all got strengths we've all got skills we might feel like we lose them at times but it can help to have someone point them out and pick them up and help us to pick them back up again so that sort of strength-based focus on our strengths um is key i think to peer support and i think that's different than the medical model where mm. in psychiatry a lot of it is not strength-based it's deficit-based so this is a different kind of way of approaching and um it was interesting, I, I do a lot of work also with court, the court system here. A lot of our people turn in, end up in jails and prison system and court systems. And talking to one public defender, they said, uh, I have nothing good to say about that defendant whatsoever. And I'm thinking, there's always, there's always something good to say about any human being, mental health condition or not. So just different ways of thinking. So as we're winding down here on our first uh, podcast, <laughs> could you tell us about an academic research paper that you recently had published? What is it? <laughs> and who do you work with on what is it? I'm so celebrating it. <laughs> it, took a, it took a long time. Um, so there was a group of us on that forum. I can never say the whole word from the title of the forum. Um, the group that we're all a part of. Um, and we had a shared um, experiences around reviewing academic papers. So part of the academic publishing process is that um, papers are submitted to a journal and a journal passes those drafts out and asks people to comment on them. And many of us had said, you know, that we read these things and they talk about participatory research, but it's so tokenistic and their understanding of participatory is so different to what we think of it as. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's just tokenistic stuff, it's maybe they've got somebody involved. Um, sometimes we see papers that really um, promote how well they've done in terms of participatory work and involving people with lived experience, but it's been very poor. But we see that other reviewers who've perhaps got more um, an academic background or a clinical background, they don't comment on it. Whereas lived experience researchers or survivor researchers, that's the sort of thing that we notice and pick up on and might comment on. And we had concerns that actually our, our comments weren't being taken seriously. Um, so a group of us, um, led by Michelle Calder-Karras, who has just got brilliant leadership skills and kept us all going throughout it, um, drafted and wrote a um, a piece around um, what the, the stuff that we've seen, the bad practice, if you like to call it that, that we've seen, how we would like to improve things, and also offering some suggestions as to how journals, authors, and reviewers might improve that process so that we get a real sense of participatory research um, being done properly and 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 not saying that everything has to be done perfectly, but actually recognising where we might have wanted to do participatory research, but it didn't work out like that. Funding or whatever happens, that's okay, but to recognise that and to say it, rather than try to hide behind words and pretend that it was all, all well with 
it's very true so that has been published this week and we're really pleased about it and i'm sure you will share the link um, yes, what is the title of this article the title is the longest and you know i can't remember i'm gonna have to check out where this title came from the title is bear with me okay. strengthening strengthening review and publication of participatory mental health research to promote empowerment and prevent co-optation snappy mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow but we're so pleased so pleased that it got published and there's one two three four five six seven eight of us from um from the group who who worked together and it was a really great experience to work together on something so people from the states from australia um canada and the uk um just working together online sorry they're all peer researchers, right? Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. Everyone from that lived to experience perspective, and it's and it's great. It was it was great to work together like that. It was lovely seeing all the edits and the discussions and the debates as to you know what language we would use, how we do it, and and also noticing who we, who was missed out from that. So we brought various perspectives to that piece, um, but there were perspectives that are missing from that. So that has also changed our thinking around how we must make sure that we include people from the global south, for example, and include their perspectives as a much earlier stage um, rather than thinking oh, we've got lots of different perspectives here we, we really do, do need to um, recognize who's missed out from it so no it will change the way we, we act as well going forward no, it's a great great piece of work to be involved in i am so so pleased that it's been published and um, I, I hope many people will pick it up and read it and act on it as well here's a cool question too before we end so if you have people from australia and in England, UK, and North America here in the United States, how do you agree upon spelling? Because sometimes you use S-E-D and Z-E-D, and how do you agree upon which words to use? I think I found through various pieces of writing, it depends on the journal, because at the end of the day, the journal editor will come in and correct it all to whatever they choose. So it's an American journal, it gets Americanized. <laughs> yeah out of our control <laughs> karen we're at the end of our time so this has been peers across the pond <laughs> and, i love the way you say it thank you <laughs> and thank you all for joining us today we'll see you on the other side <laughs>